That's a terrible call. That is a terrible call. Well, that was an event, an ejection, a technical on the coach, a can being thrown from the stands. Everything was going off in the TD Garden against the Spurs. By the time you hear this, the Celtics would have played the Sixers as well. We're recording before that game. I know, I know we should have recorded after, but the time zones just weren't going to work. I'm your host, Adam Taylor, joined by your my co-host and your new co-host of the Celtics pod, Justin Trombino. Yo, it's been... um. It's been a tough few days to be a Celtics fan, dude. Yes, it has. A lot of, a lot of stuff going on. Too much. I mean, these slow starts are killing, killing them, man. It's uh it's becoming a theme that really needs to be worked out. There was a lot of speculation, and even we speculated on the last episode that perhaps it was to do with Kemba Walker not being in the lineup. They've relied on him quite big early in the games. His reintroduction to the team didn't really seem to in fact it seemed to make things worse to be quite honest I know that he's going to be on a minutes restriction thing is when you have the flu you lose some weight your fitness is going to drop because of that so guaranteed he was feeling some effects from that but that was a really 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 dude that quarter was so rough that first quarter yeah that first quarter was terrible I was completely wrong. If you listened to the last pod, I thought Kemba Walker was going to come in and fix our slow start issue. I was wrong. Um, it's just terrible. Terrible start to some of their games the last few games. It's beginning to be like a legitimate concern. It's It happens for one or two games. That's okay happens three or four you start looking at the schedule the excuse of fatigue can come in perhaps think perhaps they're struggling to get themselves geared up to start a game you know they're not going into it with the right mindset and then that's developing when they're behind and they're chasing the game which is what the Celtics do well right I mean they're a tough team when they're down like five or ten entering the second they they tend to win the second and third quarter majority of times but they do tail off in the fourth but these, these first quarter struggles, they need to be resolved. Marcus Smart, for my liking, is shooting a little bit too much. And I like the fact that Marcus Smart shoots now. But at the moment, they're not good shots. And it's killing the flow of the offense at some point. Changes need to be made. Somebody suggested to me, I don't know if it was you actually, somebody suggested to me moving Hayward to the bench and having... Um, and who else? And moving Tice to the bench and having Cantor in the starting lineup. Maybe we are looking at a, a lineup change at this point. Do you see that happening? The Sixers is going to be a tough matchup. I think Cantor's going to be more reliable coming off the bench, especially with Embiid out, because whoever they put in off their second unit is going to have to try and deal with Cantor on down low. And I feel like he's got a good matchup there. Yeah, I could, I could agree with you on that. I definitely think a matchup, a lineup change is probably necessary at this point. It probably would be Hayward to slide off into the bench. Um, and Cantor definitely does 
have a great matchup tonight against the Sixers, and he's definitely going to be needed. But I, I feel like Tice is also going to be needed at the same time. I think they're going to need both of those bigs on the floor to match up with Philly. Philly, they have one of the tallest teams in the league. And even with them beat out, they still have to deal with Simmons driving in. And as we know, Al, Al can, he does all the little things. So got to watch out for that. Yeah, the height's a problem. Simmons' driving ability is going to cause issues. The Celtics last year, and it seems to have stemmed over to this year, but to a lesser extent, really struggle when teams try and run at them, especially in transition. They struggle. You saw that yesterday in the first quarter. Um, the Spurs were running a lot of transition plays. And John Corrales said this in, in, um, in his podcast. And if you go online and go to the CLNS media page on YouTube, and watch that post-game presser with Brad Stevens. He has it there as well. When the Celtics are missing shots on the offensive end, they do really drag their heels getting back. Yeah, I'll have to take a look at that. But just from thinking and thinking about the games that you watch, it seems like they're just down on themselves for missing the shot or they're too busy trying to get a call from the ref and they're not transitioning. And then against a team led by you know, pop, that's not going to work. Because those, once those guys have the rebound, they're already at the other end of the floor. Yeah, and DeRozan is having a great year. It felt like DeRozan couldn't miss at times. I, I only shot, I think it was three shots in the first. Nailed all three. One of them was a mid-range with a hand in his face. It just didn't matter. He's having a good year. You need to get up under him a lot quicker than what they were. Lamarcus Aldridge... Played much better than he did last time we saw him. No injury to Hayward. That was probably the only positive to take out of this game. But more than just talking about the Spurs game, because that's happened, it's in the past. It's, it's this slow start. It's happening too often now. If it happens again against the Sixers tonight, I, I struggle to see how they're going to come away with a win. I could be wrong. We'll find out. It's going to be in a few hours' time. But long term, this isn't something that bodes well. You can't play a first quarter like this and a fourth quarter like they have been and expect to be fighting for home court advantage in the playoffs. Seeding will start slipping away very quickly unless they can figure this out. I do. And on top of the slow start, a lot of it does come to the start of games when it, on, the, on the defensive end because they're, they're falling behind way too early in games to the point where a comeback can even seem far-fetched, and they need to dig themselves out of the hole, out of the hole that they dug themselves into. But with the way that they're starting out, like I said, it just seems far-fetched at times. Yeah. So the one thing that they've really done well to start the year was they were starting games out with a really intense defensive structure. They were switching. They were getting under guys. Get. You know, they were throwing two free bodies. It was very, very fast, very intense. There was barely a moment that guys had to get shots off. If you drove, they they collapsed. If you were kicking it around on the perimeter, then guys were switching. Guys were getting your, getting to contest shots. People were literally sprinting across the court just to contest a free. And it wasn't just Marcus Smart that was doing that. I've got images in my head of Jalen Brown sprinting across the baseline. It was happening all over. and then. Now, 
that effort's not there anymore. That speed and pace they relied on on the defensive end to make up for the lack of size comes in spurts, whereas before it was a staple of what they were doing. Now they're choosing when to kind of exert that much energy. And I understand that due to the scheduling, which we spoke about in the last podcast. There does come a time where you have to kind of live with a few possessions where you can't put that intensity up because you need to preserve that energy because you're probably playing the next night. But when you're struggling like this, then you need to go all out. You need to be making those runs, getting in guys' faces, boxing out. I mean, where where are the box outs, man? People are getting beat on the boards. People are just driving past guys at the moment. It's the first quarters especially, but it's not just confined to that one quarter. Teams are getting too far in front, as you said. It is becoming far-fetched. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to play you a little bit of that interview I've just mentioned from CLNS Media. So you can hear Brad Stevens' opinion on this, and then we'll be back just after that. Hey, Brad, you guys, once again, a bad start. It's a pattern. We didn't play hard enough. San Antonio played hard. We didn't. San Antonio played great. We hoped a few shots went in that we could stay afloat. But we're not playing hard enough. Last two games, bottom line. Other teams deserve credit for beating us. Washington played great. I don't want to take anything away from them. San Antonio was awesome. They were awesome against the Bucks. But, you know, if you're not going to play your, to your max, then you're going to get beat in this league. And often badly. Brad, uh, guys have said recently that the missed shots lead to lapses defensively. Is that something that you saw tonight? And, and how can you break them of that habit? Well, I don't know what leads to what, but I know that the best teams that I've been a part of, and a lot of these guys have been on them, um, didn't matter. Kept guarding all the way through it. You competed all the way through it. And this team has been great about that all year. We're in a funk the last two games. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, we get to play tomorrow night. And if we don't play hard again, then we'll get pounded again. So there you go, guys. Even Brad saying that they're just not playing hard enough. Teams are playing harder. What do you think has changed, Justin, to change this mentality of the team? I'm honestly not sure. I don't know if it's, you know, kind of the injuries that happened early on or, or just, or just, I, I'm just lost for words. I, I didn't, out of all the variables that could have happened this season, I did not think a lack of effort or something like this would have been one of them. Um, it's, I think, I think maybe a lineup change would maybe do it. I know to get back to that, as far as the change in mentality, I honestly have no idea. You know, it seems like everybody's clicking, everybody, you know, the team chemistry is there. It just, these first quarters, the slow starts, just the whole thing is odd. And maybe you're right, maybe a lineup change would be more necessary. There's things like, there's a few things that I've seen that I'd like to change. Obviously, I'm not the coach. I don't know whether that's how he's drew it up. But me personally, Smart shot ten, Smart took 10 attempts against the Spurs. Only hit three of them. 
You've got a guy like um, Kemba who's playing, what, he played 18 minutes and only took six shots. That's your star point guard. I want to see him driving more. Gordon Hayward, however, is doing well. I'm happy with 50% from the field, 57.1% from free. I'm okay with that. Tatum, if he's not hitting the free like he wasn't last night, drive. If he's driving and it's not falling, it's at least it's a higher percentage look. Get those wraparounds. Tice, to me, has been doing solid again. I was a bit critical of him coming into the game against the Spurs just because of the tough night he had on, at the rim in the previous game. But something needs to change. I personally don't think that moving Hayward to the bench would be great simply because the way he's been playing at the moment, he's kind of keeping the team in it when it's tough. And with his player option coming up, moving him to the bench might be a sim, a kind of symbolic of what the team are expecting to use him for next year. If he thinks he's going to have a bench role next year, he's not opting into that. He can go and make some money on the free agency market this year. And whether or not Brad Stevens has looked at it from that aspect, we'll never know. But it does definitely play a factor in my mind on how you use Gordon Hayward for the remainder of this season. The ball should be in his hands a lot more, though. Run him at point forward, have Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker wants to work off ball, great. Just let it be in Hayward's hands instead of Smart's. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you on that. Marcus is, he's hes great. You know, we all love Marcus and he makes the tough shots in critical moments sometimes. And like you said, you know, three for 10 from the field. And he, when it comes to the starting lineup, I, I think I agree with you as far as if it comes to, you know, between him or Hayward, I would go with Hayward. And in regards to his player option, you're probably right about that, depending on what, you know, the future holds for him here or wherever. But I guess with that being said, who would you throw in there in the starting lineup if there was to be a change? Maybe a guy like like a Javante Green or... Um... Well, first off, with Javante Green, the last, ep- last episode of this podcast, I was saying I want to see him shoot to three. What's he going to do? Shoots the free, nails the free. I'm cool with that one for one. Just to, while we're talking about freeze, just so everybody's aware, if you haven't seen the butt score, Smart was joint top three-point attempts with Gordon Hayward against the Spurs, both taking seven attempts. Marcus Smart's a reliable three-point shooter at this point. Probably respectable is the better word than reliable. He shouldn't be joint top three-point attempts for this team. Not when there's Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown. Marcus Smart should be sitting around the three to four attempts a game, Mark. Not seven. Javante Green hit one for one. I don't expect him to go and shoot four or five threes in the next game. That's just not his game. But no, I don't think Javante Green... I I feel like if it's going to happen, then Shemi's probably going to get a step up in minutes. He's... He's had start a, a starting role a few times. He's probably the most likely guy to come in there and just try and shore up that start of the game defense. Because that, as you say, that's kind of where everything's falling apart. Get Semi in there, let him do what he does on, on D. And hopefully that can galvanize the team as a unit. And then if you're bringing Hayward or Brown, and I am not advocating for Brown to come off the bench. He's been too reliable in the starting unit. It's just a name I'm using as an example. 
But if you can bring one of those guys off the bench to help lead that second unit and avoid dry spells, that could be that could be what does it. Especially having a guy like Shemi that can just D off. He's you know he shot two for four against the Spurs. He was fifty percent, but he can help you on D. But the problem is, would you? Would you value that as much as having him coming in the second unit with Marcus Smart and having that defensive lineup? I mean, at this point, you kind of have to think about it like that because of the slow start that they're currently on. Imagine the lineup of Daniel Tice at the five with Shemi at the four around Tatum, Walker, and Brandt. Like you mentioned, his defensive intensity is right up there. He'll get up with anybody, just like and Tice has the the ability to do the same thing with the down under the basket in that in that lineup. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's either Shemi or it's Grant Williams. Both of those two, um, I think, are quite reliable on defense. Shemi a little bit more than Grant. But Grant, in my opinion, gives you a little bit more versatility on both ends of the floor. He's also been solid all year. Maybe it's time to see what happens when you slide him alongside Daniel Tice. But that's but we're both talking like it would be definitely be Gordon Hayward that makes the move to the bench. He does seem the most logical, but from a contract standpoint and a player relations standpoint, I'm not sure it's going to be the smartest option long term. Maybe just for a few games, just to try and get out of this rut? Yeah, I think it's definitely worth the shot and definitely worth trying somebody else in the starting unit other than Marcus Smart. Only saying that because typically it's been either Gordon or Smart starting in that spot. Yeah, I mean, if this change was to happen and using Grant as the example, then it would be Kemba then probably Jalen Brown at the two, Jason Tatum at the three, and then you'd have um, Grant Williams and Daniel Tice. That's assuming that it's Hayward you slide, and then you bring in Marcus Smart, Gordon Hayward, Brad Wanamaker, Ennis Kanter, and I'm assuming Shemi at the four, off the bench. Yeah. So there's, there's yeah. possibilities. The team's got a lot of switchability. There's quite a few players that can play up or down multiple positions. So it doesn't have to be set in stone who plays at where coming off the bench or in the starting lineup. Maybe you have Brown and Tatum switching out on the three and Tatum switches onto the four and moves Brad um, Grant down to the three a few times. It doesn't, to me, that's not the worry. It's, it's about who you can bring in to help shore up this defense and give that offense confidence because if they miss a shot, they need to be confident they can get a stop. And at the moment, they have no confidence that they can get the stop. Yeah, I'd agree with you on that. And to piggyback on that point, Marcus Smart used to be that guy that they could rely on on defense. And he still is that guy. Let me rephrase that. He still is that guy. But lately, it just hasn't been enough. Teams are learning to switch off smart. That's the problem. When, you, when you're renowned around the league for the defense that you play, teams will find a way to, to like basically seal you off one of their primary, primary scorers. 
and make it hard for you to get in the way, at which point that's why you need multiple good defenders. So if you get sealed off, somebody can switch onto him. And then when another pass is forced, you can break off that break through that seal and get back on your main, your primary man. And you'll see that if you look out for that, you'll notice that sometimes teams are switching off smart and then basically putting a big on him or a four and then boxing him out early just to make it really difficult for him to contest the drive off or they'll swing it across the court and then someone will drive in. So it makes smart have to run into a few tags, get slowed down and not be able to contest as well. So the teams are scheming for that. Now you need to be able to bring a guy like Shemi in that's going to, if people are expecting smart to be coming off the bench or starting then you need to start throwing curveballs at guys to really make them make adjustments on the fly. Maybe run plays or lineups that they weren't expecting to run. They haven't practiced as much. And you have to make these guys uncomfortable. Yeah, maybe that's a solution. Maybe, I mean, we have seen them work pretty well under pressure and come back at times. I mean, even last night they had a, a mini run before the whole Kemba ejection situation. But throwing a little unpredictability even at your own guys from Brad Stevens is, you know, maybe not a bad, a bad thing to try. Okay, guys, we're going to go to break. When we're back, we're going to start looking at a few episodes ago. I was with Nick Gelso, Nick Gelso, sorry, from CLNS Media. We were talking about the Isaiah Thomas argument where he got ejected and what that meant for a player experience versus a fan experience. Following that fan getting ejected from the TD Garden for throwing that can of beer, I think this is a good time to have that debate again. Uh, and we'll be doing that after the break. So stay tuned and we'll be back in a moment. Justin Man, the dude for a can from like, what was it? Load free? Somewhere around there, I believe. Three or Launched three. Launched That was a projectile, dude. Like the velocity that must have picked up on its way down. That would have maimed somebody. That that's gonna crack your head open if that hits you. Not yeah. smart, not funny, not entertaining whatsoever. A very, very idiotic idea to do. I understand frustrations run high in fans as much as they do in players and coaches. But you're there to have fun. Children are in that stadium, dude. What if that had hit a kid? Yeah, that'd be terrible. It- the whole thing is disgusting and embarrassing. And on top of that, I, I, I think Brad Stevens was embarrassed last night when he when he apologized to Coach Popovich about the whole thing. But that's not what going to a game and being a fan is all about. Not one bit. And now look, now he can never go to an NBA game again. So what was the point? And when he threw it, I mean, was he going for Aldridge or the referee or the, the thing the is, how far, I just don't understand how far away he was. I don't think you could be aiming for anybody like true. 
the distance and the height that that had to come from, you might have like he might have had that idea like, hey, I'm going to throw this at the Marcus Aldridge. But regardless of who you're throwing it at, like it could hit a child, it could hit an elderly person, it could hit a steward that's just doing their job. Heck, it could hit a Celtics player. You imagine what the crowd would have done to that guy if it had hit Kemba Walker or Gordon Hayward and caused them to miss a few games. You're not just risking people. Well, this is people's livelihood, but at the same time, you're risking causing a miniature riot within the stadium. And at a time when players are starting to defend themselves against fans that are verbally abusing them, what's going to happen if you physically harm one of these guys? Are we expecting them to just not retaliate? And these are some big dudes, man. These are some big, athletic, strong guys. You don't want them to retaliate because I'm pretty sure you don't want that smoke. And who's in the right or wrong then? There comes a point where, as a fan, you need to kind of look at it from the human aspect and be like, he's doing his job to get paid and support his family. If I crack him in the head with this, what if it hits you in the eye? And you lose partial sight and now you can't play basketball anymore. So he's meant so then that guy that spent all his life working to get to this position can't do what he's trained to do all his life because you wanted to throw a can of beer to try and be funny for your friends. It's it's a very, very what's the right word to put this? It's a very thin line that's being walked that the NBA is walking at the moment between the way where we the way fans can interact with players before repercussions can take place. And this was one way of, a re- if it had hit a player, you could very well expect some repercussions. Yeah. I, I think you said that perfectly. It, you know, another example of, you know, the way fans can interact with the players and all that is, from many years ago, I'm just thinking about this off the top of my head, but the the whole Ron Artest or Meta World Peace, or I think it was still Ron Artest at the time, but the that whole scenario, that whole situation, and the fight with the fan, it, it's just, like you said, you can't, what, what do you do? Do you expect the player not to stand up for himself and defend himself? And to go off that, I mean, we've seen young Marcus Smart kind of talk at the fans. We saw what, you know, the whole college incident. It's going to happen if, you know, fans are doing this. I don't know. You know, I don't know if that guy was drunk. I mean, he probably was. He threw a beer. But maybe there needs to be a limit with the the alcohol at games. But with that being said, the, the TD Garden does have a rule where you need to be 25 to even get a beer, especially if you're out of state. So, it, then I don't the know. It's a, like you said, it's a very thin line. That's when you're in the garden as well. So there's nothing stopping you loading up before going to the game. And then again, if you're starting to restrict the amount of alcohol that can be consumed, that impacts fan experience. That impacts what the team's concession receipt are at the end of games. So it directly affects the amount of money the team generates from home games because now they're selling less beer, they're making less profit, or because a very slim percentage of people choose to act like imbeciles. And then you've got the 
do you need more security? Again, that's going to hit the team in the pocket. What happens if they decide to do a baseball style thing and put a netting in front of Logi so you know, so you can't throw projectiles from up there. Soccer teams have started doing that for the exact same reason in certain countries. And then even closer to home, what happens if it hits another fan and that fan's a nut job? Like, I'm a big dude. I'm like 6'3", 220. I've been doing martial arts my entire life, like MMA level, like, you know. You throw a can of beer and it skims my daughter's head. Whether or not it hits her or not, me and you are going to have to have a very, very heated discussion, which then ruins the experience for fans sitting around us that have all paid their entry fee and they're there for an experience with most likely with their spouse or their friends or their family. And now you've angered me, so I've, you've ruined my experience, you've ruined the people around me's experience and the people around you's experience. So it becomes a point where how you can't you can't ever control that amount of people to act in an appropriate manner because it's just the sheer number of people means the law of averages you're going to get a few idiots now and again. But how can you best negate that? What what steps can be taken that don't affect profits, that don't affect concessions, but also limit that risk? And it's almost an impossible task, dude. Yeah, it is. I mean. As far as, you know, the TD Garden, I know just from experience, you know, when you go in, and I'm sure you know, when you go in and, um, you know, you walk through the metal detector, you can't bring any outside bottles with you or, you know, any bags or, you know, females can bring their their handbags or stuff like that. But for the most part, there's nothing outside coming in. So, you know, they're, they're covering, you know, the entrance as far as that goes. Um, and like I, I already, I don't know, you know, alcohol is going to be part of sporting events. Maybe, I mean, I've never been cut off from a sporting event. I've been cut off many times, but not from a sporting event. But are those, I don't even want to call them bartenders, but are those people able to cut someone off or refuse to serve somebody? Maybe, you know, they should look into that or security is all over the place. So I don't know if, you know, bringing more in, I mean, obviously more would help, but there's already a lot going on in there. This is what I'm saying. What more, what more could be done? And there really isn't much. What are they going to do? Start background checking everybody for criminal records with drunken disorderly offenses in the last 12 months. Are they going to have to start looking at that? Hey, you was you was arrested for being drunk and disorderly last October, so now you can't come to an NBA game or any sporting event for twelve months. Is is that really going to be where they take it next? Is that what they have to do? It, it's ridiculous that how one guy can act like this can kind of have such a a domino effect on discussions that can take place afterwards. Because I, I'm pretty confident. Discussions would have taken place between teams and owners or um, the league and the higher-ups there to figure out, right, this is happening more and more. How are we going to stop this from happening? And I really can't see uh, an easy answer. I think I agree with you. But, you know, this is this also isn't the first time we've we've 
2015, something like this. Um, we previously played the Isaiah Thomas incident. We've, um, you know, in just in games, you can see, you know, the players talking and or looking at the fans, the fans jabbing at the players, blah, blah, blah. I guess what I'm saying is maybe they're too close and maybe maybe the players, maybe the league should turn to the players and say, hey, what would you guys prefer? What can what can we what, what do you guys want? What do you think will fix this problem? And, you know, maybe they need to go to that route. Maybe they already have, you know, I don't know. But I think a lot of it is coming down to just the fans. Maybe maybe they're too emotional. Maybe they're just being too much of a fan. And the players, you know, don't like it. Like the incident in Houston when the guy yelled at James Harden for taking too many free throws, you know, I mean, standing yelling from the 300 section, James Harden would never hear you. So I don't know. What do you think? I think that it's one of these things where we're just going to have to wait and see if anything changes. Maybe there'll be a press release. Maybe there'll be something that the league tries to stress during the off season. I, I doubt very much any sweeping changes will be made. But it is something that's becoming quite regular. This year, it's been quite predominant over the last six weeks, mainly. And I think that because this has happened and it was such a risky incident that could have become way worse than what it was, and it's on the heels of a few other incidents across the league that have all happened in a short space of time, that there is something under the surface that's bubbling that the league needs to decide how they're going to react and what they're going to do. But I don't expect to see anything be released to the public anytime soon. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you on that. And I think the NBA has one of the more proactive commissioners in professional sports and I don't think he took what happened last night lightly, and I think he, him and his team are probably talking how we're talking. How can we find a solution for this? And the options, yeah. But I think that's yeah. that's us, dude. I'm keen to make sure this is um, short and sweet because there's going to be some talking points that arise from this Sixers game, no doubt. But the next episode you'll get from us now is going to be on Monday. So by then, that's not going to be a talking point anymore. Best thing you can do as a listener, follow myself on Twitter, follow Justin at AdamTaylorNBA at Trombino20. And you'll get our takes there because I'm 100% sure I'll be having some tweets to release tomorrow after this game. I'll have some during the game. Yeah, guys, the game starts at like... um. 12.30 to like the next morning for me. So what I'll be waking, I'll be setting alarm for 5 a.m. so I can get that game in and get my analysis article done for later in the afternoon for y'all. Just keep on hitting us up. Make sure you're interacting with us. Um, I keep saying it. I mean it. I don't ignore people when they message me. I don't ignore people when they email me. Unless you're being abusive, at which point I'm just not going to react. But so far, no one has been and I appreciate that. 
give Justin some love. He needs his follow account to go up. It's looking quite skinny at the moment. <laughs> give me some love. And uh, we'll be back on Monday. Brendan will be on that episode too. So if you're a fan of Brendan, if that's your guy, then make sure you tune in on Monday. And we'll catch you then. Peace, guys. You can say bye, Justin. Say bye. <laughs> Goodbye, guys. Go see you.